0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I want to talk this morning about some of the um, uh, tools that support our practice. Tools that I found particularly helpful in my own practice to help me to be able to connect with experience in a skillful way to connect with what's happening in this very moment and yet to start before I go into techniques and specifics I like to remind us all of why we do this because sometimes we get into specifics and techniques and um, we get kind of detail oriented and forget the bigger picture of why we're even doing this And so I just want to remind us all, uh, we're cultivating mindfulness. Why are we cultivating mindfulness? In the Buddha's um, own journey, his quest, his, his journey was motivated by a question of suffering, a question around seeing how he and everyone around him experiences sorrow, pain, grief, and wondered, he wondered, is it possible to live in this world without constriction, without suffering, not without physical pain, because that just comes with being a a human being, but without this mental, um, mental machinations that create a tightness, a tension, a constriction in our minds, is that possible, to live in a way that we are not struggling with what's happening in our lives and in the world. And his exploration, as I understand it, he came to the conclusion that yes it is possible to live in this world and be at ease with whatever is happening. To be uh, to have an equanimous mind, a balanced perspective that creates conditions for our heart to be compassionate, Kind, generous, loving, responsive to the world. Not passive. Not uh, non-reactive in a way. Sometimes we take that word to mean, uh, you know, that we're just sitting around and not doing anything. But the the um, the freedom and the uh, heart of non-reactivity that the that I understand the Buddha pointed to is not a passive heart. It's an active heart. It's one that wants to connect with the world, wants to respond and engage with the world, but not from a perspective of struggle and suffering, but from a perspective of compassion, kindness, generosity, love. And his, uh, his reflections on this is that understanding our mind, how our minds get caught in the events of the world, and what happens in our own lives, how our minds get caught is the key. Understanding is the key to this freedom. And so we cultivate mindfulness in order to cultivate that understanding, in order to create the conditions for that understanding to, uh, to flower, to grow. I'll probably use the words understanding and wisdom kind of synonymously in this talk. Understanding what is it that in our minds creates uh, constriction and tightness and resistance and frustration and uh, the mind that is not able to be balanced. It's a great thing that this possibility of a balanced mind is not dependent on the events of the world. If it were, there would be no hope for freedom. It's, it's, it's in our own minds that this reactivity arises. And it is within our own minds that the answer, the solution to that reactivity lies. So this is the uh, cultivation of mindfulness from a particular perspective, creates the conditions for that understanding to arise. And so that particular perspective is really important, actually. If you, you know, mindfulness, we can say mindfulness, um, a simple definition of mindfulness, kind of maybe a working definition of mindfulness, could be the capacity of our minds to know what's happening while it's happening. This just self-reflexive capacity of mind that we can know what's going on as it's happening. So there's that uh, capacity that we have. And yet if you were to go go up to somebody who has not had an exposure to um, the teachings and trainings of mindfulness that we offer here, Maybe somebody who's reacting in the world and, uh, you, you know, go up to them and say, do you know you're angry? Do you know you're reacting? They'll probably say, well, yeah. Yeah, I know I'm angry and I know what I'm angry about and why I'm angry. And yet that kind of awareness or that kind of mindfulness where we're involved with the why we are angry, the reasons, the story, the... The, the, uh, the events. That kind of knowing that we're angry while we're angry doesn't actually give us much traction in the direction of this freedom that the Buddha was talking about. And so it's not just mindfulness. It's not just being aware of what's happening in the present moment that creates the conditions for freedom. that creates the conditions for this understanding, this wisdom to arise. We need to cultivate what the Buddha called wise mindfulness. A mindfulness with a a kind of a perspective of wisdom imbued with it. A simple way to uh, look at this perspective, and I'm going to offer a couple of pieces that will help in our mindfulness practice, orient us to this perspective. These are the tools that I found in my own practice that help really strongly helped me to orient towards this, a different perspective, a, a, a way maybe to frame this different perspective. In that case of going up to somebody on the street and asking them, do you know you're angry? And they say, yeah, duh, of course I know I'm angry. Um, they are aware that they're angry, but they are being angry. And a a way to think about the shift of wise mindfulness is that we know that we're angry. But rather than being angry, we are exploring the human experience of anger. We're exploring what does it mean to be with the experience of anger. Not the specifics of our individual story, but human beings... 7 billion human beings on the planet, I would say probably every one of them, maybe except the ones that have just been born, have experienced anger. What is it? What does it mean to be a human being that feels anger? What is the human experience? How does it feel in the body? How does it impact the mind? Curiosity about the experience rather than involvement in it. That's a kind of a simple way, perhaps, to talk about this shift towards wise mindfulness. The Buddha talked about a perspective in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which is the Buddha's main meditation instructions. He talked about a perspective of mindfulness that is witnessing, but not either judgmental, About what's going on not either pulling towards or pushing away what's going on so for example in the third foundation of mindfulness uh, the mindfulness of mind mindfulness of of states of mind the Buddha says one understands when aversion arises in the mind one understands aversion is arising in the mind when Non-aversion is arising in the mind. One understands non-aversion is arising in the mind. And then later in that uh, section, it talks about understanding the conditions that create the arising for aversion. The conditions that create the arising for non-aversion. So that there's a, an exploration of not just the state itself, but some of the things that put it together. But there's nowhere in that text that it says anything like, when aversion arises in the mind, we judge ourselves and tell ourselves we're a horrible person. It says when aversion arises in the mind, we understand aversion is arising in the mind. This is that perspective of being with. It also doesn't say when aversion is arising in the mind, we get involved in the story of why we're averse and start thinking about it and creating plans and agendas for revenge. <laughs> it doesn't say that either. When aversion is arising in the mind, we understand aversion is arising in the mind. And so that's the perspective we're the trying to create with our practice, with our mindfulness. As we come into that perspective, that, uh, that place of where mindfulness can be that non-judgmental, I say almost non-involved witness to experience, being with experience, it creates the conditions for the understanding to arise. What seems to happen as we bring that perspective of uninvolved attention to our experience is it creates the conditions for the, uh, the weakening in our mind of unwholesome states of greed, aversion, delusion. It creates the conditions for those to, to lessen, for them to reduce over time. And it also creates the conditions for a strengthening of wholesome states of mind, of love, of compassion, of concentration, of wisdom. So the same practice, the same, the same conditions creating with wise mindfulness support the diminishment, the weakening of unwholesome states, of states that get us caught in suffering. And the increase of the wholesome states, the states that lead us away from suffering. We don't have to try to make that happen. What we do have to explore is how to create the conditions for a mindfulness that is, that has that perspective that has that wise mindfulness perspective. And so I'd like to offer three, hopefully I have time for all three this morning, three tools from my own practice that I found incredibly helpful in setting up that container, essentially setting up the container of meditation. These tools that I'm going to explore with you today I have. I learned most of them. and I, Well, actually, I'd say I've learned them throughout my practice. But I would say I began to be able to articulate them uh, and their importance most clearly through my practice with my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya. So they come to me, and the articulation of them come to me from, uh, from my teacher in Burma, Sayadaw Utejaniya. Um, however, what I've seen of these particular tools that I'm going to offer is that once I learned these tools thoroughly they are widely applicable and can be used with any meditation practice. So whatever your practice is however you do your meditation practice whether you practice concentration whether you practice noting whether you practice open awareness whether you practice metta practice these tools can support you the first tool is relaxation relaxing the body relaxing the mind I often start my meditation with just checking in it's, it's a form of mindfulness practice actually to kind of a directed mindfulness practice that we check into our body and notice where is there tension in the body and can it be relaxed, can it be released we're doing this with awareness in the present moment and so it is cultivating attention in the present moment and encouraging the body to let go of tension there's a very tight coupling between the mind and the body When there is tension in the mind, when the mind is um, constricted, or frustrated, or reactive, it often uh, ripples into the body and creates some form of tension in the body. Muscular tension, tension in the outside of the body, tension in the inside of the body. And uh, if we can notice that tension and consciously release it, which we sometimes can consciously release that tension, That relaxation of body has a feedback in the mind. And it supports the mind to be able to let go and relax a little bit. And so starting with relaxing the body creates the conditions for the mind to be able to let go a little bit of some of its tension. And then we explore maybe it's also possible to let go of mental tension. Gil has a great way into this. You know, we, we often uh, do a kind of a body scan, and I like to explore a body scan that first relaxes the muscles of the body and then goes to the core of the body because sometimes we can actually relax inside the body. Just right now, just see what happens if I suggest, you know, is it possible maybe there can be a relaxation inside the throat? Maybe the heart can relax. The area around the heart. Maybe the stomach, the intestines can relax. It's not always possible to do this, but sometimes hearing this, inclining the mind in this direction, it's not so much a doing, it's more like dropping it in. Throat, are you willing to relax? Heart, maybe you can relax? Intestines? are you able to relax right now so it's not so much of a doing it's more of a of a request drop that request into your system and see what happens and then in terms of relaxing the mind actually i find that relaxing the core of the body you know especially in the inner the viscera that's also very tightly coupled to what's going on the in the mind and so as we relax the heart relax the throat relax the stomach and the intestines, it often can release a little bit of a, of a grip in the mind as we do that relaxation in the core of the body. And then Gill sometimes suggests playing with relaxing the mind. He says, just explore as if your brain were a muscle. See if you can relax your brain. Sometimes that can create a little bit of a... a, a letting go of something that we didn't even know how to let go of. So relaxation is huge support. As we relax, what I began to see, especially through the practice with Saito Utejaniya, is that as I came into a relaxed body and mind, when I decided to shift to mindfulness practice, more of a pure mindfulness practice, or as I was also exploring this with, um, with concentration practice when I decided to shift to attending to my experience, the relaxed mind, the relaxed body, is much more able to know experience in the present moment. In fact, as we relax the body and relax the mind, very naturally the mind receives experience. It's aware. When we're not involved in thoughts of past or future, when our minds are not caught up in tense, when our mind is relaxed, it is naturally aware. And so we can begin, through that relaxation, to tap into that very natural awareness that comes as the body and mind relax. There's a little bit of a, uh, uh, a dance with relaxation because we need to uh, explore what it means to relax without just drifting, without just forgetting about mindfulness. There's a, a blend between relaxation and alertness. There's po- it's possible to be relaxed and present at the same time. I'll talk more about that in a, in a couple of minutes. The second tool is um, Exploring a receptive awareness. What I mean by that is uh, kind of a receiving of experience rather than a going out and looking for experience. So um, mindfulness, if we come back to what mindfulness is, Mindfulness is a knowing of what's happening in the present moment as it's happening. We don't have to choose, consciously decide to pay attention to something or direct the attention in order for mindfulness to be working. Mindfulness is a very natural function of mind. It's a, 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 a ordinary part of our minds that is present. For what is, is able to know what's happening in the present moment while it's happening. Right now, you know, what's obvious for you in this present moment? Don't go looking for it. You know, settle back, see what wants to come to you. Maybe sound. Maybe it's the sensations of your body, the contact of your hips. What's coming to you? Can you kind of take the back seat and let experience come to you. What's obvious? Relax. When we relax, this receptive stance is easier to access. Relax and what comes to you? So I want to talk for just a minute about this receptive quality And that capacity that we have to direct our attention. Earlier in my practice I thought that mindfulness meant that I chose what to pay attention to. I decided I was going to pay attention to the breath and that was my work to stay with the breath. That's the instruction for a particular kind of meditation practice. And yet I confused or conflated that directing of the attention or choosing what to pay attention to with mindfulness. And so I thought, uh, if I wasn't choosing, that I wasn't being mindful. So this, uh, this noticing or, or understanding the difference between choosing or directing the attention and receiving what's already happening or kind of what wants to be received. What is a system? What is our organism kind of most naturally receiving when we get out of the way? When our agendas, our plans, our views, when we get out of the way, what does our system receive? So this receptive stance um, also something is so so the factor of attention what i want to call here call out here is the distinction between the factor of attention and the factor of mindfulness so mindfulness is that just knowing what's happening in the present moment while it's happening and the factor of attention is the is the function in our mind that picks something to pay attention to the sound of the car a body sensation there's something that that uh, uh, this factor of mind picks something to pay attention to. And that factor of mind, of picking something to pay attention to, is amenable to conscious control. Or it's, if we're not consciously controlling it, our, uh, our, our system, it kind of happens automatically. our system decides what to pay attention to. It's kind of like our breath, you know? It's like we can decide, I'm going to breathe in now. So it's, it's amenable to our conscious control, the breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. I can decide to do that. So it's amenable to conscious control. And yet if I am involved with something else, I'm not having to think about breathing in and out. The breath breathes itself. So it's amenable to conscious control or not. And the factor of attention is kind of like that. It is amenable to conscious control. We can choose with our directing, a, a capacity of our mind, I'm going to pay attention to the sensations of my hips touching the chair right now, or bench, or cushion. We can do that. We can, we can choose that. But we don't have to do that. And if we don't do that, the, the, uh, basically the mind picks what we are going to be attending to. What is being attended to, I'd say. The mind picks what is being attended to. And receptive awareness is exploring what is the mind picking to be attentive to instead of me being involved with picking what to be attentive to. So this stance of receptive awareness... This is basically the, the core of the practice that Sayadaw Utegeniya teaches and that I'm exploring this week. And I'll ex- start to explore it in the Thursday night series that I'm beginning on, uh, the, um, the four-week series I'm beginning on Thursday night. Um, this stance of receptive awareness can be a practice in and of its own right. And I learned it very thoroughly there where the, the just not involved with Any choice. Sometimes this kind of practice is called choiceless awareness because we're not consciously choosing what to pay attention to. I prefer receptive because it's pretty clear once you start watching the mind that something is making a choice to pay attention to something. Whether I'm consciously choosing it or not, it's not exactly choiceless. But it is receptive. And I found in my own uh, practice that this receptive stance allows the mind to be sometimes more relaxed with practice. And it um, also can allow us to see things that we might not otherwise see. If we are always picking what we are paying attention to, there are things we're going to miss because there are things happening in our minds that we do not know what they are. And so the, the receptive stance begins to open us to a lot of unfamiliar experience. It, 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 can, it can be a little unsettling at times because it's like, wow, I have no idea what's happening right now. I know I'm aware, but boy, I don't know what's going on. That takes some, some balance of mind. So there's a, there's a cultivation of uh, comfort with new experience, comfort with the unknown that begins to come as we cultivate this receptive awareness. Now, having talked about receptive awareness from a kind of a pure stance this way, how does it blend with a directed practice? How does it blend with something like concentration practice? I found it For myself, this was a key for me, actually. When I learned, oh my gosh, these two can come together. I can receive the breath. That's when my concentration practice started being much more fruitful. Relaxed, receptive attention to the breath. It's kind of like... um, so, we can pick something to pay attention to. We can direct the attention to a field. For instance, we could direct the attention to the field of hearing. So, that's a directing of the attention. We're allowing our attention to settle in our ears. And then we can not go out trying to find things, but just receive from that. We've chosen a field, and then we settle back and receive. So we don't go out and listen to things. But just let what comes to the ear come to the ear. It's a receiving. It's like a radio functions. The way a radio works. It's, a, it's called a receiver. You know, so that's a nice analogy. Um, and if you don't tune the receiver, you're basically pulling in the waves from all the different frequencies. And so, uh, you know, you're not hearing the specific stations. And so you can tune to a very specific frequency. So you tune it. But then it's not like the radio is going out and finding that frequency. It's, it's receiving that frequency. So we tune and then receive. And so likewise with the breath, we can choose. Ah, oh, I'm going to pay attention to this area of the abdomen. And then instead of going out looking for what's there, we just accept, we receive. What's available to be known there? Relax and receive. So there can be this combination of aiming, directing, and receiving. Even with the metta practice, in my experience with the metta practice, the the formal metta practice includes the use of actively... Reminding ourselves or, 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 or uh, saying phrases of goodwill. May you be happy. May you be healthy. And so there's a little bit of, a, of an aiming in that direction. We are aiming towards those thoughts. But then what I discovered for myself was it really helpful, say that thought, aim that thought, like thinking of my benefactor, may you be happy. And then I, I spent some time in the area of the heart Receiving. What was the impact? What was the effect of making that wish? May you be happy. Ah, receive. How that landed. So, again, directing to a particular field, in this case, metta, and then receiving. How does it impact you? So, receptive attention. This receptive attention, uh, Ooh, I've only got 10 minutes left, let me see. I will move on <laughs> from receptive attention um, to the, um, this is in, in kind of bringing the first two together, relax and attend. What does it mean to have relaxed attention? What does it mean to not overstrive? So these two have to come together for um, uh, a skillful meeting of experience. As you notice your experience in a moment, you know, notice the sound of my voice. Notice the sensations of your feet, wherever they are. Notice the contact points of your hands. How hard is that? How hard was it? To notice those, just not very hard usually. As soon as I mention an area, the attention is, is knowing it. So, for a moment, in an instant, it does not take much effort to be connected with experience. What's harder is to sustain, sustain it over time. And that's generally where we often get tight in our meditation practice, is in trying to sustain our mindfulness, trying to hold on to the breath, trying to stay present, just gripping the mind, trying to stay put in the present moment. We can do that. I've certainly done it. And it can create the conditions for the mind to stay put, but it creates a very tight kind of attention. what I've found more helpful is to explore what it means, that light touch of attention that we just played with, just for a split second, just for a moment. How hard is it to notice the sensations of your hands? Hearing right now. How hard is it to notice hearing? Not so hard for a moment. That level of effort is what's needed. And then you need to do it again. And do it again. And do it again. It is more about remembering moment after moment after moment to make that very light touch of connection. Rather than at the beginning of a sitting, sitting down and thinking, I have to stay present for 30 minutes. How do I do that? It's kind of like trying to pick up the whole 30 minutes sitting in the first second and trying to stay present for the whole 30 minutes in that first second. Instead, you stay present for the first moment. And then, oh, and and can I do the next moment? And the next moment. In each of the different styles of practice, there may be slightly different ways to go about this. If you're exploring the breath, if you're exploring um, staying present with the breath, see what happens right now. Can you be present for half a breath, for an in-breath? How about for the out-breath? And the next in-breath? Just enough attention to be present for half a breath. That's all the effort you need to make. And another half a breath. And another half a breath. That's all the effort that needs to happen. And then the mind will wander. And then we wake up, we come back, and we we, we begin again. If you're doing walking meditation, if you're doing a, uh, the, the walking meditation focused on the movement of the feet or even doing a more open awareness style of walking practice, I've sometimes found it helpful to, um, because I'm doing movement, I engage with this practice around movement. And it's like I pick something, maybe three feet out, and I play the game. Okay, can I be mindful till I get to that leaf? Oh, I made it. Okay, how about that leaf? Oh, I made it to that leaf, too. Oh, how about that crack in the sidewalk? Oh, made it there. Just a little little tiny chunks. Small bits over and over and over again. The mind will think, "Oh, I have to do it for, I have to do it over and over again." Oh, that's so difficult. That's the mind. That's just the, that's just a thought. It is just a little bit of effort over and over again. And as we do that, there becomes a kind of a, a momentum that builds. A momentum of the mindfulness builds. And then we, we can be present maybe for two breaths before we have to really, and so very easily present. It's like, oh, can I be present for my breath? yeah a breath another breath and then and then we might start feeling the mind kind of begin to drift or lose connection with the breath and then oh let's connect again kind of recommit yeah let me stay with the next couple of breaths so we tune our level of effort to the uh the continuity of mindfulness as we do this light touch of practice a momentum builds and we can back off on how much we're reminding ourselves. I find curiosity to be a great support in a light touch of practice. If we can have an attitude of, what is this? What does it mean to be a human being that's breathing? What does it mean to be a human being that's experiencing frustration? What is that? If we can bring a curiosity to our experience this creates a natural energy. And we don't have to do so much uh, efforting to stay present. The curiosity creates that energy to stay present. Relax receptive awareness joined for a relaxed attention. Those are the first two tools. The third is an exploration of allowing. This is that perspective that the Buddha pointed to in the Satipatthana Sutta. When we see aversion arising in the mind we understand aversion is arising in the mind. When we see non-aversion arising in the mind, we understand non-aversion is arising in the mind. Likewise, he, he said this for greed, for uh, delusion, for contraction, distraction, and further on for states of concentration. In that sutta, he described knowing the mind is concentrated, knowing the mind is not concentrated. So this is pointing to Allowing experience, an allowing perspective. And for me, the allowing perspective, allowing is a word that shades between equanimity and love and compassion. The perspective of allowing as we enter into what does it mean to allow our experience to be as it is? Sometimes that experience of allowing has the flavor of balance of mind, of non reactivity, of equanimity. Sometimes it has more of the flavor of compassion or love. And so, this allowing perspective brings in the attitude of kindness, of compassion. And so, we might explore this as kind attention, loving attention to our experience. So this is an important part of the perspective of what it means, what wise mindfulness means. This allowing attention. So often we see it is, we are not allowing something. You know, that, w- w- that this is, it, the, there's a kind of a paradoxical nature to practice in that What we often get to see in our minds is the ways in which we're resisting things, fighting things, holding on to things. We open our attention to our experience and that's what we see. We see that we want something that's unpleasant to go away. And there's a pushing, there's a frustration. There's an aversion. And the Buddha's instructions, if aversion is arising in the mind, no aversion is arising in the mind. And so we see that there's a reactivity. Allowing doesn't mean we get rid of that reactivity. Allowing means we allow the not allowing. What does it mean when we notice we're not allowing something to step back and explore, oh, not allowing is happening. Okay, not allowing is arising. Can I know that not allowing is arising? As opposed to feeling like, this is a problem, I need to fix it or change it we step back and see if we can allow the not allowing. This is how so much of our practice unfolds. is through that perspective of allowing. It's like we create that bigger container, a bigger container of experience and then explore can, I, can the container be big enough to hold this too? If we find that it can that's pretty much all we need to do that's the perspective of being with we can be with um. anger we can be with frustration we can be with confusion wanting pride and yet there are times when the, the, the strength of our reactivity is greater than the capacity to be mindful. And at that point, we need to learn skillful means. How do we respond? When we try to turn our attention and be with anger and find it just takes us down the rabbit hole of anger, How do, what do we do then? Not beat ourselves up, not try to tell ourselves there's something wrong with us, but see what are some skillful means? Can we can we turn our attention away from that? Maybe maybe take a walk in nature. Change the channel, I sometimes say. Redirect the attention. Find something else we can be with in an allowing way. It's, it's an act of compassion for ourselves. It's an act of 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 that heart of allowing. To recognize this mind is not capable in this moment of meeting that experience in a simple way, and something else needs to happen. And so we use skillful means. There are times for that. And it's time to stop. So thank you for your attention.